Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie from a few years ago, The Big Short. Uh, It tells the story of the financial crisis of 2007-2008, when the U.S. housing market bubble burst and nearly brought down the whole economy with it. In particular, the movie tells the story of the handful of investors who saw the financial meltdown coming and managed to profit from it. It's a true story. These guys, played in the movie by Ryan Gosling and Steve Carell and Christian Bale and a few others, saw how unstable the housing market was and that it was only a matter of time before it was going to collapse. So they bought credit default swaps, and I don't really understand what those are either. (laughs) Basically, uh, betting that housing loans were about to go belly up on a massive scale. They essentially bet on the US housing market to fail. And of course, big banks were happy to take their money, confident that that could never possibly happen. These guys were crazy. Well, they weren't crazy. And when the housing market did collapse and everyone on Wall Street was panicking and losing everything and millions of Americans were watching their financial futures go up in smoke, these guys were raking in millions and millions of dollars. And there's a scene in the movie when Steve Carell, one of these investors who has uh, gamed the system, is sitting for a moment on a balcony somewhere amid the implosion of the financial markets, just total pandemonium down on Wall Street. And he knows it's time to cash out. He stands to make a literal fortune, but he's hesitating because he knows what we know, that he is also part of this corrupt system. And yes, he's seen what was coming and he managed to get ahead of the curve, but he still feels complicit. He feels dirty to be profiting off so many people's financial ruin. He knows he's going to go through with it, but before he does, the movie just makes us sit there for a minute in that very compromised and uncomfortable place. He and his friends are not good guys. They're unscrupulous. They're not exactly paragons of virtue. What they are is shrewd. That's kind of our word of the day today, shrewd. Well, our gospel this morning also tells the story of a dishonest manager. And just like the guys in the big short, this guy is also facing a reckoning. The writing is on the wall. And like Steve Carell, this dishonest manager has to decide what he is going to do about it. Jesus tells us this man was accused of wasting his master's possessions. Maybe he was just incompetent. Maybe he was lazy. Uh, Or maybe, what seems more likely, he was actually stealing from his master in some way. Certainly what he does next makes that seem very plausible. But he's fortunate in that he isn't just thrown out on his ear. He has a little window of time left 
when he's still in his position as manager. And he's savvy enough to make the best of it. What he does is he goes to his master's debtors and chalks off some of their debt. These are, by the way, large debts. Uh, This isn't just a little pocket change. These debts are in the realm of, from what I found, three to seven years' wages for an average worker of that time. So you can do the math and figure very roughly what that might be in today's money. He goes to his master's debtors and asks what they owe, and then he reduces their bill. How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of oil. Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. It's all very underhanded. The debtors also know this is shady business, but they don't resist. (laughs) He's making some friends for himself. Or if not friends exactly, these are people who are going to owe him. It reminds me a little bit of mobster movies. If you watch mobster movies, you know it's always a very bad idea to accept a favor from the mob. (laughs) The mob is not doing it because they like you. (laughs) They're doing it because at some point they're going to call it in. It's self-serving, and that's the idea here, too. The dishonest manager is using what authority he still has, as long as he is still the manager, to set it up so that afterwards these folks still owe him. But now we come to the turn of the parable, the surprise, and the reason it is such a difficult parable to understand. We've been listening to the story of a corrupt and scheming manager. He's not a very likable figure. Just like Jesus' first hearers must have, we've been thinking, this guy's a real piece of work. Then Jesus hits us with the twist. In verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Is Jesus saying that this kind of underhanded dealing is somehow okay? There might be situations where, when it's all right, or even commendable, to act so dishonestly. The unjust manager's behavior may be savvy, it may be cunning, but it's not right. We're surprised not at the man's behavior, We know this is the way the world works. We're surprised that Jesus commends it. Well, this is Jesus' skill as a storyteller, I think. Stories always work by creating certain expectations in us, in one way or another, and the good stories are the ones that work to subvert our expectations and then use them to get at something deeper. We assume that this story will end with Jesus condemning the man for his unjust dealings. After all, Jesus has always had a lot to say about the right use of money. He's always condemning the Pharisees for their greed. So we're all set up for Jesus to say, and the master condemned that wicked manager and made him pay back all that he had taken. And when he couldn't pay, he was thrown into prison where he wept and gnashed his teeth. There, I just wrote an alternate ending to the parable. (laughs) That's what we are set up to expect. That is not what happens. It is important to say the manager is not commended for his dishonesty. Jesus is not undermining the whole law of Moses here. The Eighth Commandment still still applies. Thou shalt not steal. Jesus takes that for granted. And I think 
we can too. But Jesus goes in an unexpected direction in order to show us something more. And as with most really good stories, the twist is also the point. Jesus does not praise this manager for his dishonesty, but for his shrewdness. For all his moral failings, this guy took an honest look at his situation, and then he made the most of it. Specifically, he took advantage of his current situation to set himself up better in the future. As one commentator, Justo Gonzalez, puts it, this manager cheated the present order for the sake of the new order that is coming. That's his shrewdness. That's why Jesus praises him. We can go back to our guys in the big short here. They too were dishonest managers. Great reckoning was coming. The system had eaten itself. They could see that it was all going to collapse like a Jenga tower. But like the dishonest manager in the parable, they were lucky enough to get wind of this great collapse before it happened. And like him, they took their chance to profit from their situation. They cheated the present order for the sake of the new order that was coming. And there's something about this kind of shrewdness that Jesus wants us to emulate. The people of this world, Jesus says in verse 8, are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. Well, whenever we come across a morally dubious figure in the scriptures, our natural inclination, I think, is to distance ourselves from them. We're not like that, we want to say. We would never do something so brazenly wicked. But I want to suggest that we are all this dishonest manager. Like him, we have all been trusted with our master's goods. This is a running theme throughout Jesus' teaching. Masters are always trusting their servants with things. I think that's because that is indeed our situation. God has given us dominion over his creation, to rule over it. He has given us all that we have, not only our money and our possessions, but our talents and our abilities as well. We have nothing that we have not received from him. Of all that we have, we are only stewards. And just like the manager in this story, we have mismanaged our master's property. We have not been faithful with the things God has entrusted to us. We've been incompetent. We've been lazy. And yes, we have stolen from him. This applies to, I think, us individually and also as a society on the whole. Think of how we've treated God's creation. We have used God's good gifts for our own selfish ends. We've wasted them. And now, just like in this story, a reckoning is coming. The reckoning is our own impending death and the great judgment that awaits us. The writing is on the wall, and we have been weighed in the scales and found wanting. As Justo Gonzalez puts it, this is a situation common to all human beings who for the present have a life, goods, talents, relations, and time to manage, but are also on notice of our firing. But also like this manager, 
we have been given a chance, time, to do something about our situation. We have not just been thrown out on our ear. Judgment is coming, but it isn't here quite yet. So we have time to ask ourselves, like this manager asks himself, what shall we do now? Well, this manager had a few options. He could have said, well, judgment may be coming, but it's not here yet. May as well enjoy my position while it lasts and then go out and party. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That is what many people decide to do in one way or another. Or he could have just resigned outright and just forfeit everything. That would be kind of like the Gnostic option, I guess, to say that material goods of this world are possessions, talents, pleasures, life itself, are meaningless. To say, ah, it doesn't matter. This world doesn't really mean anything anyway. But he doesn't do that either. He wants to keep a share in the good things of life. Instead, the manager is shrewd. He is first honest with himself about his situation. He doesn't ignore the coming judgment, nor does he deny the value of the material goods he's been trusted with. But second, he is decisive. He acts now, taking advantage of his current situation for his own future benefit. He has acted in his own self-interest, yes. But Jesus says that even so, he can be an example to us. We, too, must invest the goods God has given us now shrewdly in light of the judgment that is coming. St. Lawrence was a deacon in the church at Rome in the third century. As part of his duties, he was the manager of the church's treasury and oversaw the distribution of alms to the poor. He was the steward of the church's treasures. In AD 258, the Roman Emperor Valerian issued an edict that all bishops, priests, and deacons were to be killed. And the bishop of the church at Rome, Sixtus II, was captured while he was celebrating Holy Eucharist, apparently, and was taken away to be executed. As he was led away, Lawrence followed him, grieved that his bishop was going to be martyred, but he apparently was not. He said to Sixtus, Father, where are you going without your son? Have you found me wanting to my duty? Try me and see whether you have chosen an unfit servant. Sixtus answered him, I am not leaving you for long, but a greater trial and a more glorious victory are reserved for you. You will follow me in three days. And he told Lawrence to distribute the treasures of the church to the poor. Well, the Roman prefect was standing nearby, and he overheard this remark about the treasures of the church. And he called for Lawrence to appear before him. And the Roman prefect said to Lawrence, I know Christians are always giving their money to the church. I want you to bring all the church's treasure to me. Lawrence agreed to this. The church is indeed rich, he said, 
I will bring you its treasures. But allow me a little time to set everything in order and to make an inventory. The prefect said, fine, you can have three days. So Lawrence went out and sold everything the church owned. And he gave away all the church's money to the poor. Then on the third day, he gathered together a great number of the poor, the beggars, the blind, the lepers, orphans and widows, all the people the Christians cared for, but who the Romans cared nothing about. And Lawrence brought all these people before the prefect at the appointed time. And the prefect was angry and confused. He asked Lawrence what all this meant and where were the treasures he had promised to show him. Lawrence said to the prefect, the church is truly rich, far richer than your emperor. These are the treasures of the church by which it is pleasing to Christ. It has no other riches. The prefect ordered that Lawrence be executed. He had him roasted alive on a gridiron, and he died. This is the story of another shrewd manager. St. Lawrence, too, invested the money he had been entrusted with. He wagered it all on the promises of God. He knew what money is for, and he knew what real treasure is. St. John Chrysostom said, Riches are alone from God to be deposited with the poor, so that we might receive a hundredfold reward, for they will be our friends in the eternal habitation. The manager in Jesus' parable was shrewd enough to make friends for himself after his master had fired him. But St. Lawrence, too, made friends with his master's money. When we give our money to the poor, the poor themselves will testify to our good works on the day of judgment. Proverbs 19, 17 says this, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and will be repaid in full. What does it mean for Church of the Redeemer to invest our goods? Our money, yes, but also our many other resources, our church building here, certainly, the gifts and talents that each one of us bring, our time. How can we be shrewd managers of all these things? I think our Highwood ambassadors may have some ideas. It's a dangerous question to ask. And I have to say, it's a dangerous sermon to stand up here and preach to all of you. <laughs> I, too, have often failed as a manager of what God has given me. I have been dishonest like the steward, and I have wasted my master's possessions. But praise be to God. His judgment is coming, but it hasn't come just yet. We can still invest wisely as long as he tarries. When St. Lawrence gave that money away, knowing that he would be martyred, it was an act not first of works, but of faith. If God's promises were not true, if Jesus has not ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, 
If he is not coming again to judge the living and the dead, then it was a foolish act and a pathetic waste. That was certainly how the Roman prefect saw it. But we know better. We are invited always to wager everything on the promises of God, to dare him to be as good as his word. Our shrewd management of all that he has entrusted to us is an act of our true and lively faith in his word. And so our good works are evidence of our gratitude to God and our trust in his promise. May it be so of you, and may it be so of me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.